It really is amazing, God, for us to contemplate this grace, this amazing grace that you extend to us, and none of us in this room deserve it. All of us in this room deserve to spend an eternity separated from you just because of who we are and what we've done in life. But you, you extend this outrageous, enormous grace to us that breaks the shackles and sets us free. This morning we've come into this place to celebrate that, O oh God, and to celebrate you. And we're asking you now, would you speak your truth into our minds? Because every one of us in this room, we need to start thinking even more like you do, Lord Jesus. Would you please touch us in our hearts where we need that healing touch from you? Because we want to be more and more a people of God. And so we praise you today for what you are about to do in these next moments. Why don't you ask him to touch you, friend, right at the point of where you, he knows you need his touch. And so expectantly we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, friends. Amen. We are in these days in a unique moment in history. And that is that the amount of time between Easter Sunday this year and Memorial Day this year matches perfectly with Passover and Pentecost in the time of the Bible, in Jesus' day. That doesn't happen very often. And that's why I've been leading you carefully through what the Bible tells us are the events that happened after Passover. I'm going to dismiss the little ones up through grade four while I invite you to open your Bibles, please, with me to John's Gospel, the 20th chapter. And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, there should be one under the chair there in front of you. Because last week we were in John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, you may recall, and we were looking at Thomas and how his life changed when he finally had this encounter with Jesus a week after Easter. Have you noticed the last two verses of John chapter 20? I also wrote them for you in your notes if you'll take them out of your worship folder. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. I'm so grateful for that because it tells us, my friends, that Jesus was a busy man doing a lot of things, only a few of which are recorded for us in the Gospels. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And what does it say next? Would you read it with me? And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John makes it very clear why he wrote the gospel. It isn't just information. It's so that your life potentially will change as you meet the Jesus of the story that he wrote. Isn't that true? Have you ever written a letter and you've signed it and you folded it and you put it in the envelope and then, oh, wait a minute, there's something more that's really important that I wanted to say. And so you're faced with the question, do I start all over and rewrite it all or do I just add a PS? Would you consider that the 21st chapter of John is kind of a PS? Because doesn't it make sense that John would end right there with what we just read? 
It's finished, he said. I've, I've told you all I need to tell you. In those early days after Jesus returned back to heaven, all that could be known about him was what those who knew him could tell you verbally. There was nothing written down. There was no place to go. There was no newspapers, no television, no radio. So can't you imagine that as the disciples were together with friends over dinner or even visiting from place to place, people would come to them and say, would you tell us the stories again? And I wonder if the story that's in John 21 just became one of those favorites that people kept asking him to tell. And, and finally, the Holy Spirit just led him to write it for us. You suppose that's possible? So look at how he starts there in that 21st chapter. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. You know, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, you notice that he's now named in second place in the list of disciples who had this experience with Jesus. His restoration experience happened a few days before, and now it appears to me he wanted to make sure that he was with the disciples whenever they were together, just in case Jesus would appear again. You've observed, I'm sure, that all of the appearances of the risen Jesus were not announced. They just happened. There was no rendezvous point. There was no appointment. It just suddenly, unexpected, there he was. I think Thomas is listed here right after Peter because he was saying, I'm not going to miss another one. I'm going to make sure that I'm with the disciples the next time he shows up. Who else was there? Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, who are James and John. And two other disciples who are not named were there together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them. What does that mean? Have you thought about the fact that during the months that the disciples that followed Jesus, they weren't working their jobs. They were following Jesus. There was no income coming in. They'd stepped away from their employment to follow Jesus for months. Now think about that a minute. Some of you in this room have experienced that unemployment. There, there was no unemployment insurance in those days. My guess is that by the time these men had returned back to the Galilee, you see, Passover was over, and everybody had gone back home, including these men. They were facing some pretty serious debt that needed to be paid. My guess is they and their family members had borrowed from others just to meet the daily expectations, financial ones. But I think there's another reason that Simon said, uh, I'm going out to fish. He had come back home after Passover. And don't you imagine that everybody who knew him, even those who just knew his name, would come up to him in the street, Simon Peter, tell me the stories. You were there. What was Passover like with him? Tell me about the upper room. Were you there at the cross? Tell me what happened there. Do you suppose that as those questions came, something welled up inside of Peter that said, I don't want to talk about it. Don't go there. Why? Haunting him, of course, was the fact that on that night in the upper room, he had boldly said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'd even die for you. And Jesus had responded, Oh, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny three times that you even know who I am. And there's no account 
that Jesus and Peter had had any conversation since he ran off into the night weeping after he had denied Jesus. No conversation that would allow them to reconcile that problem. Oh, Peter had seen him already twice alive, at least, but each time with another group of folks. Easter night, and last week we saw it in John 20. I have a feeling part of the reason that Peter was saying, I'm going out to fish, he was saying, I'm getting in the boat and going out to the middle of the lake where nobody will bother me. I'm tired of answering the questions. It hurts too much. So let me ask you, remember a time in your life when you said something that you know hurt somebody deeply, but you went in two different directions and weeks turned to months and you longed for the chance to get back together with them and make it right, but the opportunity didn't present itself and you carried this heavy burden of guilt and shame and it just churned inside of you, huh? That's what Peter was living with. I'm going out to fish. The other six said, we'll go with you. I don't know if he said, no, you stay here. I need some time alone. But they ended up in the boat, and out they went. And do you see what it says next? And they fished all night and caught what? Nothing. When's the last time that you stayed up all night long? and you weren't working third shift. Something was so heavy on your heart you couldn't sleep, and you paced back and forth in the house. You were on your knees. You were weeping because your heart was broken, and there was something really heavy on you. I wonder if during that night as they fished, I wonder if the boat came to a place and Peter could care less about the nets. I wonder if he got aside by himself in that little boat and just sat and looked out at the water in the middle of the night and remembered. It was about right here. Huge storm. We thought the boat was going to capsize and we were going to drown. And there looked like a ghost walking on the water, telling us to be calm. It, it was him. I wonder, I wonder if Peter looked at the water I remember what I said. If it's really you, call me to come out to you. I wonder if he leaned over the boat and looked down. I actually walked on this water two or three steps. <laughs> I wonder if something inside of him, my friends, just cried out, Oh, Jesus, would you walk on the water one more time? I desperately want to tell you how sorry I am. all night long. Nothing. John tells us that as the eastern sky began to get just a little bit light, they heard a voice from the shoreline call out, Friends! Haven't you caught anything? It, it, it wasn't a derogatory statement. It was normal. When folks from the marketplace in the communities around there could see that there had been a boat out there all night, they were anxious to know, is there fish, fresh fish to be bought? No. Just a simple word, but you can imagine all that was behind that. Usually, that kind of a question 
The person on the shoreline would just keep on walking. But John tells us that on this occasion, the voice said, Throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. Aren't you glad John doesn't tell us what they said next in the boat? <laughs> I am. At least if I'd have been in the boat. <laughs> Who's that wise guy on the shoreline telling it? Do you see the next word in the scripture? Look at it there. When they did. I've circled that in my Bible. When. How long did it take them to decide, what do we got to lose? Let's throw the net in the water. Have you noticed that sometimes when God extends an invitation to you to take a faith step, it's not sitting here in church. It's at your workplace. And an opportunity, a decision comes to you, take a faith step. It's with your family. It's at a social gathering. I've been urging you over these last five years that we've been together to keep developing your ability to recognize the fingerprint of God when he is inviting you to take a faith step. Throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will. The God who had created the universe and that lake had gathered the fish under the boat, but they didn't know it. <laughs> and that God was standing on the shoreline in the person of the risen Jesus Christ, but they didn't know it. Keep developing your ability to discern when God is inviting you to take a faith step. And they did. You see what John says next? That net filled so full it began to pull down on the boat. Seven guys grabbing that net, the water just flapping all over the place. They, they just can't believe it. No, six guys pulling the net. You see what one guy is doing? One guy's looking at the shoreline. Who is that guy? He recognizes the voice. He looks at the fish. His name isn't given. Do you see how he's referred to? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Five times he refers to himself by that name. I put them in your notes for you there so you could study him. Five times he doesn't give his name. He refers to himself, John, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, we know that Jesus loved all the disciples, but there was something special about the relationship between Jesus and John. John was peering over the boat. Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter says, later, John, I'm busy here pulling in this fish. No. What does it tell you that Peter did? Peter lets go of the net, wraps his outer garment around him, and jumps into the water. Why? Talk to me for a minute. Why did, do you suppose Peter jumped into the water? I'm sorry? To get to Jesus. You're right, Steve, before everybody else did. To finally get those few minutes alone with Jesus. Remember, his heart is deeply broken. He hasn't had a chance yet to say, I'm so sorry, Jesus. Jumps in the water. Swims to shore while the other six wrestle with this net. That's powerful. John doesn't tell us what they said. But what we know is what they said took care of the problem and began to restore their relationship.
Look at it there. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and also some bread. Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've just caught, some of that miraculous catch. <laughs> Peter, who had been talking to Jesus, climbed aboard and helped them pull it ashore. It was full of large fish, and that's unusual in Lake Galilee, 153 in all. I love verse 12. And Jesus said, come on, fellas, let's sit down and have a Bible study together. No. Come have breakfast. Don't you love that? <laughs> These guys have been working hard all night long. Come have breakfast. If you think that all Jesus cares about is, did you have your time in the Bible this morning? Do you have perfect attendance in Sunday school? Have you been to church every time the doors are open? If you think that all God cares about is your spiritual life, you don't understand him. He made you physically. He keeps you alive every day physically. Come have breakfast. What he's saying is, you're hungry, and I know it, and I've cooked breakfast for you. Come on, let's eat. Amen. <laughs> you see, that tells me that whatever's going on in your life, anything, anything, he knows about it, and he cares about it. And you don't have to try to wrap it up to look real pretty spiritually. You can just come to him and say, God, this hurts. God, I need an answer to this very real business problem. It has nothing to do with theology or spirituality, but it's real stuff. And it's where I make my living every day, God. And God says, I understand your business better than you do. And I'd be delighted to help you. Come have breakfast. Let him invite you to let him step into the practical stuff in your life, huh? And guess what? You don't have to teach Jesus how to run a computer. <laughs> you don't have to explain to Jesus about your business. He knows all about it. He's God. They must have had a great breakfast. They must have talked about everything while the fish are flapping in the net. <laughs> and then Jesus evidently leans over to Peter. Simon, son of John. He hadn't called him that for a long time. That was his real name. And that was the name by which he had first met him way back in John chapter 1. It was Jesus who gave him the name Peter, you remember. But he doesn't call him Peter. Simon, son of John. Do you truly love me more than these? The English doesn't do it justice, as you know. The word love that he uses there is agape love. It, it means the kind of a love that you'd go all the way to the cross. You'd give your life for another person. Peter, you see, he's not asking him, are you sorry that you denied me? They've already dealt with that. Now it's, Peter, let's look into your heart. Peter, how do you measure your love for me in comparison to all the other priorities in your life? Do you love me more than these? More than what? Well, we don't exactly know, but I wonder if, with a sweep of his hand, these other disciples. Or, do you suppose maybe he pointed at the fish flapping in the net? 
and the boats, his business, his source of income, his career. Do you suppose he pointed at the hillsides and the lake, his home, the surroundings that were so familiar to him? Peter, where do I fit in your priority list of the things that your heart really loves? Could I invite you to consider the same question as I invite me today, two weeks after Easter? Honestly now, where does Jesus fit in the priority list of the things that you care most about, really? It's not hard to tell, you know. You don't hide what you're excited about. You adjust your schedule, don't you, to certain teams' schedules so you can make sure you're at home when they're playing ball and you can turn on the television. Even to the point of, well, we won't talk about that on Sunday. No. Yeah, you get excited about what's important to you. Honestly, now, how excited do you get about Jesus? Time. We will make time for that which is most important to us, right? Checkbook, funds, resources, money. We'll find a way to fund that which is most important to us, right? So it shouldn't be hard for you and I to look at the list of priorities, excitement, time, dollars, etc., where does Jesus fit? Lord, Peter answered, uh, you know that I love you. But he didn't use that same word, agape love. He used that word of friendship. You know we have a friendship. Jesus' answer was so interesting. Then, then feed my lambs. He's a fisherman. They're sitting on the shoreline. What's that have to do with sheep? But many times you know that Jesus had talked about my sheep and me. He referred to us as sheep, people. Feed my lambs. Little lambs, if you know anything about sheep, are the most vulnerable in the whole flock. The little newborns, their little wobbly legs, they're skittish, they're all over the place, they get separated from their mothers easily. And oftentimes shepherds have to pick them up and coddle them and sometimes even feed them. Watch a mother with a newborn baby. You know very many moms who just couldn't wait to end the nursing deal and get to bottles and put them over in a corner so they get on with other things? I don't know very many like that. I know an awful lot of moms who wanted to keep nursing as long as they possibly could. They just loved holding their babies, huh? Feed my lambs, Peter. What he's saying is, how's your heart? Peter, if you're going to step back into the journey with me, I need you to have a tender heart to love and care for the ones with whom you need to be tender. Peter, you can be kind of gruff sometimes. Is your heart developing in you a tenderness for people? They went on in their conversation, and a little while later, John tells us that Peter leaned over a second time. Simon, son of John, how's your heart? Do you truly love me? Agape again. This time, it's not a comparison. He's not comparing his love with anybody else. What he's asking here is, look closely at, at the depth, the strength, the durability, the resilience of your love. Why? Because you're going to face some tough storms in days ahead, Peter. Storms that would wipe out, knock over most people. But you need to be able to be strong. 
Look at your own love. You and I are living in an America where increasingly it is getting unpopular to be an evangelical Christian. I found it interesting yesterday to take a look at two reports on Chuck Colson's life just to get a little idea. Mainstream media, <clears throat> Watergate scandal, blah, 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 something with prisons. <laughs> Christian media, Watergate, a few months in prison, met Jesus invested the rest of his life in founding prison fellowship where thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women here in the United States and around the world their lives have been transformed totally by the power of Jesus Christ and they've left those prisons and they've gone out and they've started good businesses and many of them have started ministries what a contrast how's the durability the strength of your relationship with Jesus Christ considering the storms that are coming Peter, he had responded, Lord, you know all things. You know what's happened in my life. You know how I failed you. You know the future. You know that I love you like a friend. Phileo love. Peter, I want you to take the next step. Take care of my sheep. He was saying, Peter, I'm calling you to stand strong in defense of my people. Stand against the opposition. Stand up when nobody else will. I need you to have a strong heart with a deep love for me. And sometimes, Peter, you're going to have to step into my people and separate them one from another where there's bickering and infighting. You're going to have to be strong in the face of difficult times ahead. Peter, can you do that? Now watch this carefully. Uh, is it true in your life as it is in mine that when there has been that thing that weighs heavy on you and you long to get it resolved what you're looking for is a chance to say I'm really sorry would you forgive me yeah I'll forgive you Whew, good let's move on that's not what this is I have found one of the books we're going to be reading this summer ooh it's good I'll be ordering them next week for you listen Andy Stanley secrets lose their power when exposed to the light the light that exposes our secrets and frees the heart from the oppressive power of guilt is confession. But I'm not talking about the kind of confession that most of us are accustomed to. Yes, Mom, I'm sorry, I broke your vase. Yes, honey, you're right, I drank out of the milk carton again. Uh, yes, officer, the light was red. No, no, that kind of confession eases our conscience temporarily but it does nothing to expose the deeper secrets that we carry. And it's the secrets down deep inside that keep our hearts in turmoil. Worse, that kind of confession can actually fuel destructive behavior rather than curbing it, leading to more secrets and even greater guilt. Let me explain, he writes. One of the first Bible verses that I memorized as a child was 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As a youngster, this was too good to be true. I mess up, I admit it, God forgives me, and I move on. Wonderful, I had discovered a loophole. <laughs> Over time, this verse became an escape hatch for me. 
Every night before I went to sleep, I'd have a long monologue with God, confessing all the things that I could remember in the day, and telling him I was sorry, and then at the very end I would say, just to be safe, and forgive me for anything that I've overlooked. I went to sleep knowing my sin bucket was empty. (laughs) But in the back of my mind, I knew I would probably fill up that bucket again tomorrow. In fact, the odds were pretty good that I would fill it up with the very same sins that I had just dumped out before God, before falling off to sleep. But hey, I confessed. I did what the verse told me to do, and I was counting on God to keep his end of the bargain. But then I began to notice a dangerous trend in me. When I was tempted to sin, I would reason to myself, I know this is wrong, but if I go through with it, I can always confess it, and God will forgive me, and everything will be fine. Anybody else ever been there? Before long, listen carefully, my confession habit was supporting my sin habit. Ouch. Mm. It was quite a system I had going. Chances are, you play your own version of the confession game. Some confess to a priest, some confess directly to God, but few of us are really interested in changing anything fundamentally. We sure feel better about ourselves. The cloud has lifted, the slate is clean, and now that we've gotten God off of our case, we think perhaps now he'll be on our side. But would you side up with someone who treated you that way? Imagine you had a brother who continually stole from you embarrassed you publicly, talked badly about you behind your back, but once a week he came to you and said in very general terms that he was sorry. But no sooner did you turn around than he was right back doing it again. To make matters worse, he has the nerve to ask you for help whenever he gets in a bind. How would you characterize your relationship with that brother? Even if you were able to genuinely forgive him each time, what would eventually happen to your relationship? There would be no relationship. So where did we go wrong? Why this endless cycle? How is it that we have allowed confession to become a tool that facilitates our sin rather than ends our sin? The reason, of course, is there's a big difference between confession and repentance, isn't there? So Peter, how's your heart? You've told me you were sorry about your denials, but how's your heart, Peter? Look deeply into your heart to see what was it that caused you to say you didn't even know me in the first place. Do you truly love me more than these? Do you truly love me enough to stand strong in the storms? Because my sheep, my people are going to need you. Conversation went on. And for a third time, Jesus leans over to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time he used that same phileo word. In other words, Simon, son of John, are you my friend? Lord, you know all things, Peter answers. Yeah, that's right. Lord, you you know my heart. You know why. It was just a young girl who asked me, aren't you one of his disciples? And I said, I didn't even know him. You know all things. You know I love you like a friend, and I believe he was saying, and you know I desperately want to have that agape love. Feed my sheep, Peter. Uh, Peter, do you see what he's doing? 
step by step he's re-engaging Peter back he's restoring the relationship he's recommissioning him again first start with the vulnerable the new believers the young ones humble yourself to do that nurture them and love them then stand strong against the storm now feed my sheep you know what that means a shepherd has to really know his sheep well so that he can lead his sheep to exactly the right kind of nourishment that they need every single day that means that the shepherd's got to be in among the sheep that means that the shepherd's got to be able to listen if you have a pet any kind of a pet you know that you can tell by the sound that that pet makes is that pet happy or sick huh Peter I know that you can kind of be all about yourself sometimes Peter I know that you can be hard and harsh with people Peter you can be quick to make a decision Peter sometimes you even speak without thinking about it Peter if you're gonna step back from that place of failure in guilt come back carefully and tenderly I need you to love and care for the vulnerable ones I need you to be able to stand strong and protect and I need you to be able to lead but you lead by listening to those that you're leading and to me ah am I kinda of talking to myself today yeah how about you and then John tells us that Jesus said follow me evidently Jesus said something like Peter let's take a little walk down the beach come on follow me brother Merrill can you come and stand with me please I didn't tell Merrill I was gonna do this that's but he's courageous and I think this is how it went let's take a little walk my friend I think Jesus and Peter walked down the beach probably just like this and they had a real private conversation you see what Jesus was doing was saying I know about this in here I know about your heart Peter I know what you think I know about your mind I wonder if they walked along I wonder if they stopped and Peter said Jesus look around you realize where we are I think it was right about here several months ago I was pulling my boat in remember I was washing out the nets and you came strolling down the beach and you stopped and you said come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and I wonder if Peter said I'm awful glad I dropped the nets and followed you and they walked down down the beach and this is the picture that I like to have of me and Jesus and they stopped again evidently and Peter looked back because John tells us that he pointed back and he says what about him the disciple that Jesus loved was following them why <laughs> because they never knew when they were gonna see Jesus next and John wasn't about to sit by the, the the fire on the beach and let Jesus just walk off and disappear Thank you, Brother Merrill. And Jesus says to Peter, I think with his arm around him, Peter, you and I have a very special relationship. It's unique to you and me. John and I have a very special relationship, and it's unique to John and me. And Thomas and I have a, get the idea? 
And this morning, that's what he's saying to you. You and him have a unique and special relationship. He made you, and he loves you, and he knows you, and he keeps drawing you, inviting you. Come and know me. Come and follow me. So this morning, I'm asking you, and I'm asking me, how's your heart? Where does Jesus fit in the priority list of what's most important to you? How really, truly strong is your love for Jesus? And what would it take for you to buckle and say, uh, I really don't know him. That Christianity thing, not, not really a big deal to me. And who are the people around you that have been entrusted to you to lead them and to grow them spiritually? Huh? And what is it going to mean for the rest of your life, whether that's one more week or 50 more years, for you to walk down the beach with Jesus, with his arm around you, following him? What do you suppose he has in mind for you and what he would like to do in your life and through you? How's your heart? Let's talk to him. Lord Jesus Christ, this morning, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you're here in this room, and you're asking every single one of us. You're calling us by name, and you're asking us, do you really love me more than... And you're naming to us the things that you know we love. You're asking us about the true depth and strength and durability of our love for you because you know the storms that are out ahead of us. And you're asking us about the people that you have called us to love and to nurture and to care for and to help. And you're asking us how well we are listening to those people so that we can discern what they need from us and how well we're listening to you because you've also asked us to follow you. So right now, in the quietness of this moment, why don't you and Jesus have a conversation? And if you've never trusted him to be your savior, this is a perfect moment right where you're sitting. Inviting him to save you from the guilt, the reality of your sin, the condemnation of your sin. Because he paid for your sin when he died on the cross. And inviting him to be your savior. But so much more than that, inviting him to do that deep inner work in your heart, that healing work where your heart has been broken and wounded, that cleansing work where your heart has been dirty and filthy, that renewing heart. And maybe you trusted Jesus a long time ago, but it's time for a fresh stroll down the beach, just you and Jesus. Time to get your priorities back in line, you and him. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm so grateful that you can simultaneously walk down the beach with every single one of us, whispering in our ear by name how much you love us, how much you would very much like to be able to do the work in us that you are able to do. You're just waiting for our invitation. Now we worship you, Lord Jesus, out of hearts deeply grateful for your amazing grace.